Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Today we're talking about hormones. Now, hormones have a lot to do with a lot of stuff in our bodies, the decisions we make, how we feel about ourselves and other people and things. But today we're talking about how hormones affect obesity and how obesity in turn affects hormones because it's this weird, weird cycle of eating and appetite and hormones and what it does to your body. And I think this is a good area to talk about because we hear um, a lot about obesity and weight gain and, uh, you know, how to lose weight. And there's a lot of blame put on overweight and obese people for just, you know, it's their fault because they're just not exercising and they're eating all these things. But if we focus in on this hormonal factor, it adds another dimension to what's going on. Right. There are several hormones that have to do with weight and weight distribution. Um, four of those, leptin, insulin, sex hormones, and growth hormone. And there is another one called ghrelin, which we will get into in a little bit. But leptin is produced by your fat cells and secreted into the bloodstream. And it's responsible for reducing appetite and controlling how the body manages fat stores. And it turns out, with all this research that's been done into these basically, quote-unquote, hunger hormones, leptin is higher in obese people, so that should reduce their appetite, right? No, it turns out that Obese people are not as sensitive to the effects of leptin as are others. Yeah, and we'll get more into this, but um, PBS Nova also reported on how some animal studies have shown that those lacking a gene that encodes for leptin have weight problems as well. And for podcast listeners who are caught up on their podcast listening because they're listening to this newest podcast, mm-hmm. podcast, how many times can <laughs> I listening, say podcast? Listening, listening. Uh, if leptin sounds familiar, it's because we mentioned it in our episode on sleepwalking when we were talking about eating in the, your sleep. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we don't get hungry while we sleep is thanks to leptin. Yeah, it exactly. Shuts that down. Uh, and then moving on from leptin to insulin, it's very important for the regulation of carbohydrate and fat metabolism and ensures that energy is available for everyday functioning. And where this comes into play with obesity, those insulin signals will often get lost in the tissues uh, and overweight and obese people are sometimes no longer able to control glucose levels, which is why there is that strong link between obesity and type 2 diabetes. Yeah, and then we get to sex hormones, which you're like, what sex hormones? What is that? What sexy that? hormones. They're, they're sexy. hormones that wear lingerie all the time. And high heels, they are. Um, so our estrogens and our androgens do affect our body fat distribution. And it turns out that in men and postmenopausal women, the main site of estrogen production is fat. And so this will actually come into play in a minute when we talk about a new study about testosterone and obese young men. Um, but so changes in sex hormone levels with age are associated with changes in body fat distribution and a lack of estrogen is associated with weight gain in animal studies. Which is going to come into play when we talk in a little bit about menopause. Yeah, we're just giving you a preview of everything. Oh, yeah. And then finally, we've got uh, growth hormones, which influence your height, bone, and muscle building and metabolism. And again, in obese people, growth hormone levels are lower. So to figure out this relationship between 
hormones, and our weight. Let's talk some more about leptin because this year in 2012, um, researchers out of the University of Michigan discovered that some people's brain wiring uh, means that they might not respond to leptin or its counterpart hormone, ghrelin. So whereas leptin shuts down your uh, appetite, ghrelin is the hormone that makes us hungry. Yeah. I love ghrelin. (laughs) (laughs) Or do we hate it? I don't know. When I'm stuck in a meeting for two hours and my stomach starts growling, I'm like, ghrelin. Oh, yeah. I guess that did sound weird. Like, I love being hungry. No, I like (laughs) being hungry because that means it's time that I can, that's when I can eat food. Time to have a sandwich. Um, Yeah, ghrelin actually slows the metabolism and decreases the body's ability to burn fat, that little bugger. Um, So researchers in the study looked at why the brain receptor responsible for processing leptin may not work. They found that if you don't have enough, you're likely to have weight problems because, again, leptin, you know, turns off your appetite. But if you have too much, it actually impairs the receptor in the brain that deals with it. Yeah, and that probably goes back to, uh, there. there is probably a genetic component to this. And going back to PBS Nova, some scientists they interviewed. Now, these are separate studies that I'm talking about in terms of the Nova and the stuff from uh, University of Michigan. But to understand the genetics of it, some scientists estimate that one in a thousand people carry a mutation for the gene that encodes for leptin and also are obese. So they are thinking that that might be another explanation linked to leptin of why hundreds of thousands of people have weight problems. Yeah, so talking about these receptors and leptin, the receptor has two quote-unquote legs that swivel. See, again, we're getting into sexy things. They have legs that swivel until they encounter leptin in the brain. It turns out, though, that the receptors of overweight people might be lacking those legs, so the leptin can't actually bind to the receptor. So they're getting kind of a picture of how this works. And Alan Saltiel, director of University of Michigan's Life Sciences Institute, says that developing a clear picture of how leptin can bind to its receptor may be the first step in overcoming leptin resistance. And in another bit of good news for leptin research, because the more that they learn about this interaction uh, in our brains, uh, the more they're going to learn about how to probably do some kind of uh, intervention to help people who might be struggling with obesity. Science Magazine recently reported on a new research finding that fruit flies also have a quote-unquote functional homologue, mm, mm. a functional homologue of leptin, which is a good thing because fruit flies are super easy to study in the lab. And since they have these similar leptin-esque receptors going on, then that opens up another potential avenue of research that could serve us. So thank you, fruit fly brains. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so speaking of all this research with these hormones, should we mess with them? If if we find out that one thing triggers another thing or turns off your hunger or whatever, should we be poking around in there? Uh, U.S. and Taiwanese researchers in November 2010 found that blocking a key gut enzyme, that sounds delicious, a key gut enzyme in the hunger response can reduce the weight gain in mice. So ghrelin that we mentioned earlier that sounds like a monster of some kind, or maybe I'm just thinking of gremlins. Yeah. Ghrelin. So ghrelin is activated by the enzyme, they call it GOAT because it's short for, here we go, ghrelin o transferase. Oh, thank you. Without, without this enzyme, GOAT, ghrelin can't trigger hunger. 
So the team designed a molecule to block the enzyme, and they ended up reducing weight gain in normal mice, but not in mice that were deficient in ghrelin, suggesting that the effect was due to a lack of activated ghrelin. So we got a clue there mm-hmm. about that clue. ghrelin turnkey, but we still need to find out more about what's actually going on with that ghrelin. Yeah, researchers are like, yeah, we're, we could maybe do this, but we probably need to find out what it's going to do to you if we start interfering with your hormones. Yeah, and I wonder, too, because people will eat when they're not hungry. You know, I fantasize about <laughs> food a lot during the day. Yeah, when- God forbid if I'm near like a... a- or d'oeuvre tray or something. Yeah. So I wonder if like if that's if that would be a similar uh like hormonal link. Like if you turn off the ghrelin, does that turn off that picture of a cake Maybe. in my brain? <laughs> Maybe if we turn off the sadness, <laughs> we won't eat emotionally anymore. All that feelings pie. <laughs> uh now you mentioned earlier that this hormone weight issue is a two-way street um, in terms of obesity being linked to lowered levels of hormones, and specifically those sex hormones uh, with testosterone. This was coming from a study published in Clinical Endocrinology in October 2012. A lot of things are happening. Right now. Right now. We're in the thick of it. Oof. The study found that obese teenage boys had 40 to 50 percent less testosterone than boys of the same age with a normal BMI. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a huge difference. Yeah, and that that actually has a lot of um, kind of significant connections with development itself. Uh, Dr. Paresh Dandana, who's the lead author, said that low testosterone can slow or stop sexual maturation. And he says there's nothing more hurtful than a male not having his maleness. He goes on to say it's alarming because these guys could grow up to be inadequate in sexual performance and also in terms of fertility, all going back to having a really high BMI. Because the higher the BMI, the lower the concentration of free testosterone that's available to the body. Yeah, and uh, there have been similar studies as well looking at populations of older men. Uh, for instance, there was uh, one study published in Diabetes Care in July 2011 that showed that type 2 diabetes and obesity in older men are linked to a higher rate of hypogonadism, uh, which is fancy talk for low testosterone levels. Yeah, and that study goes on to confirm that low testosterone and sexual dysfunction are commonly found in patients with obesity, metabolic syndrome, and type 2 diabetes. Yeah, and but they also noted that adult gastric bypass patients' testosterone levels rebounded. So they're wondering if it's, you know, it's still, again, like chicken and egg issues of like, is it just the weight gain itself? Is there something else going on on a molecular, biological level that they need to unravel? Um, but on top of this, uh, research presented at the 19th European Congress on Obesity in May 2012 found that older overweight men receiving testosterone injections for up to five years to treat erectile dysfunction. This was a, a side finding. I don't think this was initially what they were looking for. But they found incidentally uh, that they lost more than 30 pounds on average and showed improvements in blood pressure, blood glucose, and the LDL levels, the bad cholesterol that we hear a lot of a lot about. Yeah, so there is the connection of, you know, testosterone therapy and losing weight. But then you have to ask the question of, did they lose weight because they were getting testosterone injections or were the testosterone injections giving them more energy, which led them to exercise more? 
So there's a lot of moving parts here. <laughs> so the testosterone clearly benefits these people because all of these, the blood pressure, the blood glucose, the glucose is all lowered, but maybe they're exercising more too. Right. And then at the same time as doctors are uncovering this research about how these low testosterone levels are happening in the growing population of overweight and obese boys, then, you know, I can, I can imagine if you are one of these scientists that this must seem like a huge puzzle to unravel. But let's talk about the lady folk. Yeah, we have hormones too. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> Who, man. Um, now those testosterone treatments were given to older men. Let's talk about hormones in older women. Uh, menopause. Yeah, so there's this idea, and I've just always thought of this as being true also, the idea that once you hit menopause, you gain a lot of weight. That is a factor of getting older because you're obviously your metabolism is slowing. But there's this new study again, October 2012. Man, what happened? I don't know. An obesity research explosion. Tis the season. But so the International Menopause Society had a study that shows that menopause actually doesn't result in weight gain, but because of the lowered estrogen. Those adjustments are linked to a difference in fat distribution that increases your belly fat, your your donut, your life preserver. The wrapped. spare tire. The spare tire. Yes. So they reviewed studies from 1946 to the present and reviewed all that they had to say, found that weight gain is due to non-hormonal factors, typically a consequence of environmental factors in aging. So it's not a change in the fact that we have less testosterone after menopause. Less estrogen? Or less estrogen, thank you, after menopause. And so it rejiggers our right. body fat accumulation. Right, because we mentioned earlier in the introduction, in the introduction, talking about the different hormones that affect weight and weight distribution. And sex hormones have more to do with body fat distribution. So things are just traveling around your body. <laughs> yeah, and also as if hot flashes, etc., isn't enough to deal with during yeah. menopause. They did find that estrogen therapy helps the whole central abdominal fat accumulation, though. So there's that. Whew. There's one thing <laughs> to look forward to. One glimmer of hope. Yeah, so while all of this like fat-moving activity is happen- happening during menopause, your estrogen receptors, which are in the hypothalamus... They serve as a master switch to control food intake, energy expenditure, and body fat distribution, like we said. When the receptors are destroyed, researchers found out, the animals in this in this adorable animal study immediately began to eat more food, burn less energy, and pack on pounds. So there is, you know, we talked about how menopause won't necessarily make you fat, but there is stuff going on in your brain with the estrogen. When, when things are not hooking up correctly, you might be a little more sluggish. So it sounds like with all of the research that we've talked about, really it's our brains are making us fat. I mean, my brain wants me to eat cupcakes all the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that is like a total oversimplification. <laughs> there are plenty of environmental factors, but it is, I mean, I guess it's, it's good to, um, to understand more about the brain's role. And, uh, for instance, too, the, just to drive home how, how the, that brain does play, that brain does play such a huge part, um, sleep. Sleep loss, this is coming from uh, a study from 2004 out of Stanford, uh, which found that sleep loss leads to higher levels of hormone that trigger appetite, ghrelin, and it lowers our levels 
of leptin, leading to a higher BMI. And I would assume that if you're getting shorter amounts of sleep, if you're only sleeping for a few hours, then sure, that's probably going to trigger your ghrelin because you have to keep your body going. Right. So your body's like, more fuel, please. Yeah, the study found that there was a 14.9% increase in ghrelin and a 15.5% decrease in leptin in people who consistently slept for five hours compared with those who slept for eight. And all this is going to do is make me go into a panic at night and be like, sleep, 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 fall asleep now, now, because I'm not getting my eight hours. Yeah, and uh, that research from Stanford confirmed an earlier study finding that people who sleep only two to four hours per night, also, I don't know how you do that, uh, are 73% more likely to be obese. And that probably has to do a lot with that leptin ghrelin switcheroo happening. Yeah, exactly. There's also this interesting study that uh, was in Nature in January 2012 about exercise. And yes, of course, we all know that exercise helps us lose weight, get in shape. It you know makes us healthier. But a newly discovered hormone, which is called PGC-1, is produced in response to exercise. So mice bred to produce huge amounts of this hormone in their muscles are typically resistant to age-related obesity and diabetes, much as people who regularly exercise are. So exercise is good for our brain, which then promotes these good-for-our-body hormone levels. Right, yeah, what's happening is that the more you exercise and then you start pumping out this PGC-1, that actually bumps up the expression of a protein that enters the bloodstream Travels to fat cells, says hi, turns regular fat cells into brown fat cells, which are metabolically active, as opposed to the inert fat storehouses known as your white fat. So as much as I would like to imagine that at some point it's just like a hormone key that scientists will be able to turn to shut off my weight gaining potential, it looks like it's just now circling back around to exercise. (laughs) Isn't that the worst? Oh, it's not, there's not an easy way out, yeah. sounds like. But again, I mean, there, th- we have to kind of keep in mind those genetic components too of things like the leptin encoding, the swiveling legs of mm-hmm. the leptin, uh, many different factors going on here. Well, there was an article that you sent me, Kristen, uh, where they were talking to a mom and a son who were both overweight and they did tests and they both had, uh, I guess a deficiency in, the hormone that cuts off their appetite. So mm-hmm. they, cause they couldn't understand why they were constantly hungry even after a full meal. Right. So it is good to discover, like if you're having trouble either stopping eating, losing weight, any of these things, if you're just finding it incredibly hard, it's nice to know that there is a hormonal issue that could be at play. But you, you know, we obviously also have to keep in mind that you should be eating right to begin with. Right. I mean, and I, I think it's, it's important too, to include these kinds of, um, like hormonal discussions, neurological discussions into our broader discussions on, um, obesity, uh, that's going on right now, especially in, in westernized countries, because it is a problem, but we can't just say, Hey, well, if you just got up off the couch and ate fewer potato chips, then, Problems will be gone because, nope, it is certainly not that simple. Darn you, ghrelin. Ah, ghrelin. Speaking of ghrelin, I'm hungry. I am hungry, too. (laughs) Let's go finish this podcast and eat some snacks. Uh, So send us your thoughts about uh, hormones, obesity. Does this jive with what you've read, what you're feeling? Uh, Weight loss programs that you've tried and haven't worked and perhaps it might have to do 
with hormonal differences. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. And before we get to some letters, got a quick message from our kindly sponsor for this episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You. It is audiblepodcast.com, which offers thousands, hundreds of thousands, in fact, downloadable titles for you to listen to on the go. And for Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners, Audible is offering a free downloadable title. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash stuff mom. And we think that stuff mom never told you listeners might enjoy the audiblepodcast.com title, The Amazing Journey of American Women from 1960 to the Present by Gail Collins. She is a New York Times columnist, if that name rings a bell. And this book has gotten a ton of great reviews. So if you'd like to brush up on your contemporary American women's history, check out The Amazing Journey of American Women from 1960 to the present. You can download it for free at audiblepodcast.com slash stuff mom. So go check it out. In the meantime, we got a couple letters here. I have a letter here from Allison about our when to have sex podcast, how long do you wait, etc., etc. She says, my husband and I dated for more than two years before we slept together for the first time. It wasn't that we didn't trust each other or know each other, but rather simply that it wasn't the right time for us, mainly because we dated long distance and because we were both virgins in our 20s who wanted to be sure the relationship was right. And actually, it was my husband who wanted to wait longer than me. How's that for defying stereotypes? But one thing that bothered me in this process personally, but also philosophically, is that I got a lot of judgment from some girlfriends for us not sleeping together, like something was wrong with my boyfriend or our relationship. They actually suggested that I trick him into it, whatever that means. I just want to point out that I didn't trick him into it. We are happily married, and those girls who I no longer speak to, I believe, are not. So to me, it's not about timelines, but about respect for your partner and yourself. So thank you, Allison. And I've got an email here from Rachel, uh, partially in regard to waiting for sex. And she writes, I'm a Mormon convert. I believe in no premarital sex for teens and strongly encourage my daughters in that direction. However, I'm divorced and met someone and had sex on the first date. I thought it was a one-time hookup, but I guess not as we've now been together for three and a half years and are now talking marriage. I also had sex with my now ex-husband very soon after starting to date him, but we had been friends for a while prior to that. I won't repeat the living together before marriage part of my former marriage for many reasons, one of which is my oldest daughter was conceived despite two forms of contraceptives. My mind was boggles, but there's always that 1%. Also because I don't want to sleep with someone with my kids in the house without being married. I think how quickly you have sex is just one factor in what will happen with a relationship as is living together. There are many other factors, so I don't think it's a good predictor. I do think that if you're in a culture slash church that is predisposed toward people staying married, you're more likely to try to work things out rather than walking away. So thanks to Rachel for that perspective, and thanks to everybody who's written in. Momstuffatdiscovery.com is our email address. You can also hit hit us up on Facebook. Leave us a comment, comment there. Tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. Follow us on Tumblr, StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And if you'd like more information on the interaction between sleep and weight, you can read, Is a Lack of Sleep Making Me Fat? at our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 